You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 447. I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. And I'm your co-host, Gemma Isra. And I'm your guest host, Emily Samp. I was formerly known as Emily Drileo, but I have gotten married and changed my name. Yay. Okay. It is so great to have you two on today. You were coming off a very successful conference with RubyConf Mini, and I just have tons of questions to ask you. But I think my first question is going to be an easier one. How are you feeling about all of it? I'm feeling great. I think overall, the conference went really well. And the one thing that I have heard post-conference that has made me feel great about my involvement is how deeply people felt the commitment to inclusion at the conference. I think that is the one thread that has kind of woven through all of the comments that we've heard. So if that is the one thing that people can take away from it, then I am feeling great. What about you, Gemma? Yeah, I think I feel great too. Really humbled by the response. I wasn't expecting that response at all. And I think especially when you're in the grind of working on it, it's hard to see what it'll come together as in the way people will receive it. And I think just excited for what's to come in the Ruby community and hopefully more smaller conferences. What surprised you? You know, we've had Gemma on the show and we'll link this in the show notes as she talked about putting the conference together. Other than the reaction to the conference, were there any like small or large things that popped up that overall surprised you as conference organizers? I think the whole thing of actually when the conference is happening, I think you and I, Brittany, talked about this as it was going on, but feels like a lot of low level stress of like, there's not that much that I actually or Emily actually needs to be doing once it's gotten kicked off and is going. But at any moment, we could get a phone call that might say something like, hey, the Wi-Fi is down. And then you have to kind of manage that situation. And so I think that felt a little like always on edge, always a little surprise of some magnitude coming at you while the conference was actually happening. Okay, but that literally happened. The Wi-Fi went down. (laughs) Emily, how did you manage that with the speakers who were planning on doing some live coding? We got creative. I let people use my hotspot. We had someone at the conference who just had a binder full of USB sticks. And so for one workshop, we copied the workshop code onto these USB sticks and then let people copy that onto their computers so that they could actually participate in the workshop. And I think the best part about it was that people were really adaptable and really willing to just make the best of the situation. And so as stressful as it was, seeing people's positive attitudes and the way they kind of came together to help each other was actually very heartwarming and it turned out pretty well. Let's talk about one of the most memorable moments of the conference. And that was hearing from Gemma's Nana at the very top of the conference. Gemma, can you walk us through that? Yes. So Emily and I spent a little while talking about the opening address and what we wanted to say and how we could say different parts of it powerfully. And when we were talking about that, we had to go over the COVID policy. We were both like, well, this is pretty boring. Us both being like, here's how we are going to protect against COVID. So we came up with the idea to hear it from someone who we're really trying to save in the hopes that people can see in my grandma, people that they're trying to save their loved ones. So a few days before the conference, video recorded my grandmother walking through the COVID policy. And I don't know why, but I was expecting a kind of like one take and we would be done. But it was like an hour long thing of her putting in a really earnest effort to try to get this right. And Emily edited it up wonderfully. And so she ended up giving us our COVID policy. 
That's amazing. So, I mean, really, it was between the three of you organizers. You also had volunteers. How did that whole process work as well? So we had the lovely Maple Ong help us out trying to recruit the volunteers. What we really wanted was to involve local students in the conference because Brown is such an awesome city because of the number of students there. And so Maple reached out to various computer science related student groups around the city. And the volunteer that we had was a Brown computer science student and ended up doing a great job helping us with registration and even gave a lightning talk on the last day of the conference. So I thought that was so cool. Was your intention going into the conference that you just wanted to provide an alternative to RubyConf or were you trying to brand it in a different way or did that just eventually evolve as you started to make those little decisions as to how the entire conference was going to work? Yeah, I think our goal was never to have separate branding or our own unique vibe or feel or anything like that. I think just what ended up sort of happening Emily and I have, I think, similar values and similar things we care deeply about in Andy as well. And in discussing almost every part of organizing the conference, those values bled through. And so I think that affected the overall vibe. And that's why the point about inclusion has been so heartwarming for us to hear, because it's something that we deeply care about. And in conversations about anything from how are we going to display the COVID policy to folks to how are we going to make sure our speakers know they're appreciated to things like that. It's clearly something Emily and I both care about. And so I think that's where it started to take on a little bit of its own feel. Yeah. And I think we ended up striking a good balance that we didn't know we were trying to strike where one piece of feedback that we got is that RubyConf Mini felt like a RubyConf in a lot of ways, which to me, like absolutely floors me because it is the first conference that Gemma and I have organized and for it to have the professional aspect that even could like rival RubyConf made me feel really good about it. But on the other hand, a lot of people said that it also felt very cozy and with the focus on inclusion had a very special tone that you might not get at a bigger conference. So I think hearing that that balance was struck makes me feel really good about the output. I thought it was really cool that it was obviously a small conference, which, by the way, absolutely love Providence. It was such a good excuse for getting out there. Love that town. I definitely want to go back. It's lovely if you haven't been there, listeners. But I really love the fact that the two of you made sure that all the things that typically happen at a really big conference still happened at this conference. There was no like, hey, we have 200 plus attendees. We don't need to do a 5K. We don't need to do lightning talks. We don't need to have a sticker table, which, by the way, that sticker table was fire just absolute fire everywhere. So I just really appreciated the fact that you still got that full conference experience, but you did get that cozy vibe. Yeah, sticker table. We definitely have to shout out Meg Gutchall. She recommended we do that and she kind of ran with it and brought all the inaugural stickers to the table. So I think that was really helpful. And then, yeah, I think that's again, speaking to how Emily and I like to operate. I think what enabled us to do all that is we didn't have to do it ourselves. And we could be like, hey, we trust this person. They can hop in and run this, pun intended, you, Brittany, and the 5K or something like that, where Emily and I did nothing to make that happen, right? All we had to do was say like, yep, it happened. And we're so grateful to you and so many other people who really stepped up to allow it to become what it did. So I'm going to put you two on the spot. Emily said, this is the first conference that you've ever organized. Would you consider doing another one? And would you maybe consider doing it for WNB.RB? 
I don't know how to not give this answer in a sassy way, but I think it's hell no. (laughs) (laughs) We love the sass here on the Ruby on Rails podcast. Okay, Emily, why? So I'll speak for myself. Gemma and I have talked about this a little bit, but in organizing this conference, I think what we realized was the things that ended up being the most valuable were the parts where we could collaborate with other people. And this is actually like a great segue from what Gemma was just saying. So being able to have Meg come to us and be like, can I organize a sticker table? Yes. Going to you, Brittany, and saying, can you organize a 5K? Yes. Those touch points of involving the community were so meaningful and created such a special feel for the conference. So in my mind, what would be a lot more impactful than using a lot of my time and energy and a lot of Gemma's time and energy to create a big event for a lot of people all at once is to instead use that time and energy to enable people to make their own events and to kind of spread that energy and that effort throughout the community, because that's really what brings that special feeling to the events themselves. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think one way I've been talking about it is usually leading up to conferences. I really enjoy getting feedback on talks, but also giving feedback on talks and being able to work with people on talks they're giving and work through early drafts and what they're becoming. And this conference, I didn't do that once. And it was exciting because there was so much other stuff going on, but also it felt like a bummer because I think that's the part that really, that I love and enjoy about conferences or one of the parts. And so our thinking is to hopefully, yeah, in enabling others to set up their own conferences, we can do more of that style of work and have a larger impact than us doing the event, which definitely is not in my skill set, doing the event planning itself. I'm going to take a moment to tell you all about Honey Badger's cron job and heartbeat monitoring. How important are cron jobs to your business? For me, they are absolutely mission critical. Honey Badger monitors your cron jobs and services to make sure that they don't silently disappear. When Honey Badger is quiet, life is good. Have you ever considered implementing heartbeat monitoring? Honey Badger also makes that incredibly simple as well. Honey Badger gives you a URL, then you call the URL. If Honey Badger stops hearing from you within the configured time period, they're going to go ahead and alert you. Honey Badger just keeps adding more and more tooling that all developers need. To dive into all of this, head on over to honeybadger.io. Aaron Francis said something the other day where he said, for a really premium quality talk, it's usually an hour of preparation goes into every minute during that talk. So you're thinking you're looking at a 30 minute talk, you're looking at 30 hours of work. So to just think of that in terms of a talk, not the conference, what's the multiplier then from a talk to a conference? It's got to be many, right? It's many. (laughs) (laughs) So then I guess my next question for you, we need more community content. So I love this idea that you would enable others to create more regional conferences. We want to see more regional conferences. Those are my favorite ones that I see. And even though technically RubyConf Mini was not a regional conference, in some ways it was. It was very accessible to people in that area of the country. And so would the two of you consider like helping contribute towards like a a conference playbook of some sort, taking that advice and being able to collaborate in that way? Yeah, our plan is very much, and we're going to do this alongside Andy Kroll, one of our co-organizers and one of your repeated guests on this podcast, to build a kind of, this is how, this is what worked for us. This is the things that we learned, the things that we maybe could have done better, use this in whatever way, and then also just offer support or one-on-one help. 
there are quite a few people who mentioned maybe wanting to run regional conferences in 2023. And so that to us is really exciting and feels like an access that we can help the broader community on if we can support those folks to do it and also have like their own conferences with their own vibes. I was thinking this morning about how workshops are almost second tiered at a lot of conferences and how cool would it be if there was like a workshops only conference or something like just do creative, fun, interesting things with smaller conferences, I think would be really cool. I also think about organizations like Rails Camp. That's something that's always been on my list to do. The idea of like going with a small set of people and going into the woods and just discussing Rails or Ruby or whatever. I like that idea as well. Like we just need that creativity. We need to find that niche because the more events that are going to pop up, we're going to get more choosy about what we want to go to. So like Ruby Company was very clear about what it was about and who would be a good fit to go. And I really like that about it. The branding was through and through very clear, like this is what you're going to get if you come to this conference. And we need to see that for more of these events. Yeah, I agree. Brittany, I've heard rumors about Pittsburgh.rb. <laughs> I have definitely thought about it. I've thought like what niches are currently not being covered. A good example is, you know, we always say you should do everything natively in Rails, but let's be honest, a lot of people are putting React on Rails. What if there was a conference for that? That would be really cool just because it would serve two different communities that we're really trying to bring together. So that could be an interesting idea. I've even thought about having like a community content conference. So just inviting the people who podcast, who blog, who create all the things that we run on, like getting them together could be really fun. So I think you two proved that while RubyConf Mini was quite the feat, it is doable if you do it in a careful way and you have good advisors. Gemma, what aspects of the conference would you like not repeat? So we decided to go with a hotel as our venue. And I think that worked really well in some ways. In other ways, I think it added a lot more organizational hassle around like food and things like that. I think it is nice to have everyone at the conference work together, but maybe like eat together, maybe have like a two-day conference or a little shorter or maybe a separate venue that's not a hotel. So we don't have to pay attention to all that side of things too. What about you? RubyConf Mini was two tracks. There were two talks going on most of the time. I wonder if it might have benefited from even going down to one track. I think a lot of people came up to us and were like, thank goodness it is only two track because when it's four track, I have to decide which talks to go to every time. And then I have so much FOMO and then I never watch the videos and it's a whole thing. So the moments where we were all together as a group watching one session really brought the conference together and made us feel like a community. So I think simplifying that whole talk process and just keeping it one track might actually contribute to a more cozy and friendly conference feel. I'm going to agree with that. Sin City and Rail SaaS was both single track. And I really liked that because there were many talks that I would not have partaken in if I had a choice and I ended up loving them. And so in some ways... Yes, you aren't able to accommodate as many speakers, but in some ways I really like that everybody's together. And when you're networking later, you can talk about a talk and you know that they saw it. There's no FOMO that exists when you have multi-track. Yeah, so I think this is a really interesting point, especially thinking about, so we got a lot of feedback that was like, oh, the two-track was great because 
there was always one talk I wanted to go to and one I wasn't necessarily interested in. But I think then the point you're making, Brittany, is the one you weren't necessarily interested in might have been a good one for you to go to anyway. Yuruko was also single track and it was like 700 people, which felt like a very different scale. For Usually I think of like tracks as almost related to the number of attendees. But that was interesting to see of so many people in a single track conference. See, I like that, though, because going in, if you spent that 30 hours on your talk and you're going to deliver it to, let's say, 600 attendees, you really got your bang for a buck. We talk about recording, but there is some magic in seeing a talk live. Yeah, I completely agree. Cool. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover about RubyConf Mini before I shout your praises for what an amazing job that you've done? One more thing I wanted to mention that I was really proud of about this conference was the panels and specifically the trans issues panel. I was really proud that we could create a space to allow community members who are trans to talk about their experiences. I think that felt like a real privilege given we were organizing the conference that we could give the microphone to people who are underrepresented or don't often get the microphone to say things like this in events like this. And so I felt really proud of the ability we had to create that space and the way the folks who were on that panel executed on it. I feel the same way. And I think the biggest testament to the success of that panel was that in Slack afterward, someone shared that they were gender nonconforming and they saw that their coworkers who were also at the conference went to this panel and heard their coworkers discussing it after and saying like, oh, I didn't know this and I learned this. And they realized that they hadn't had to explain all of those things to their coworkers because there was a place For them to go and discover the answers to these questions without having to like put the burden on their trans and gender nonconforming coworkers. So to the idea that we've hopefully empowered some people to be allies in a more powerful way, in a more informed way is like very meaningful to me. I completely agree. And I love the fact that you gave the option to the speakers, whether or not they wanted to have their sessions recorded. Which in some ways, if it wasn't recorded, it did give a little bit of a, I was here to see this. And I'm really glad that the panels was part of a single track at that point. And they were very well attended. I will also give you kudos, Emily. I've never seen a sponsor panel run that well. You did a really, really good job with the sponsor panel, which is hard to do. You want to show appreciation to your sponsors. They might not have any themes strung together, but you did a really excellent job of driving a conversation that would have been interesting to anybody, regardless if they were sponsors or not. Thanks. And I think Gemma deserves the original credit for the idea. Basically, we just wanted a bunch of company representatives to get on stage and have to like know whether or not their company's healthcare covers gender transition. That's a big thing that a lot of cisgender people don't have to think about every day. And that's like something that they're not going to go back to their companies and advocate for because it doesn't impact them. So kind of forcing is the wrong word, but forcing our sponsors not just to think about the benefits that they could give to the majority of people, but the ways that they are actually supporting the minority and the people who need the most support felt meaningful to me as well. This episode is sponsored by JetBrains RubyMine. RubyMine is an intelligent cross-platform IDE that provides all essential tools for Ruby and Ruby on Rails developers out of the box. It offers smart code completion and analysis, easy code navigation, safe automated refactorings, an interactive debugger, Git workflow support, database integration, and many other tools. All tools are integrated together in a highly customizable, productive, user-friendly environment. 
To get a special 20% discount for the listeners of the Ruby on Rails podcast, just enter the discount code RAILSPODCAST during the purchase. You can apply this discount to JetBrains All Products Pack and use IDEs of your choice. Link will be in the show notes. Thanks to JetBrains for sponsoring the show. Well, as one attendee noted while we were at RubyConf Mini, a big announcement happened within the Ruby on Rails community, which was the Rails Foundation. An attendee actually said to me, I think they knew that we were all together. And so they announced it today, (laughs) which I love that for them. I want them to believe that because that's just wonderful. But it actually was really convenient because we were able to, during RubyConf Mini lunch, like discuss it and like come up with our theories and speculation. But, you know, as of right now, the Rails Foundation was announced. We know that they raised a million dollars. There are several companies that are involved, which is Cookpad, Doximity, Fleetio, GitHub, Intercom, Procore, Shopify, and 37Signals. We know that it is chaired by DHH, but we don't know who the founding core members are. And so the whole idea of this foundation is to support the growth and stability of Ruby on Rails, which is important to us, of course. But I'm curious to get your take on the foundation and whether or not it's actually created more questions than answers? As far as I can tell, I don't know the direction, right? It seems like a lofty goal that they've set out to accomplish, but it's not clear to me yet how they plan to accomplish it. And like you said, they've raised $1 million and $1 million is certainly a lot of dollars. And I think with it, they have a ton of potential to have a really positive impact. And with all of the backing of those companies, which are all big players in the rail space. And so there are plethora of ways I can think of, and I'm sure we can think of for them to really be able to have a positive impact. And my hope is that they can and will do that. I would love some more insight into what's the next steps, just because I feel that while the blog post was well-written, it was pretty vague. And I also wonder what was the steps in terms of selecting these companies? Because you look at a million dollars, but if you break that down by the individual companies and how much they had to contribute, I think there is a lot of companies out there that rely on Ruby on Rails that would have bought a board seat if they could have. And so why were these companies chosen, I guess is my question. And how is the Rails Foundation going to work against or with Ruby Central? Because that also doesn't make sense to me. I think those are all very legitimate questions. I don't know if anyone who would be willing to speak about it knows the answers. (laughs) Well, now, see, this is me announcing my next podcast series where I basically sleuth until I figure out who those core members are on each of the teams until I have the full deck. It's going to be like Clue. It's going to be great. It's going to be like an ongoing escape room. Can be serial season four. And I was going to say, <laughs> have you reached out to the serial producers yet? <laughs> you really should. But, you know, Emily, I want your take on this. Because they put out a blog post, we don't have a lot of direction as to like where they're going to invest this money. I think I'm a little disappointed in the fact that a lot of community members are having a negative reaction to it just because they don't know. And so automatically this is bad. And so I think you two have a lot of experience where things are unknown don't default necessarily to it being negative, but where do we push that energy towards? Where do we ask these questions? Because Twitter's not in a good place right now. (laughs) I think one contributing factor to a lot of the negative reactions was the subsequent blog posts from DHH that were very anti-diversity and inclusion, which I assume are unrelated to the Rails Foundation and are just DHH going off. But I like understand the gut reaction of knowing that this person has a fundamental role in the Rails Foundation organization. 
and wondering, like, what does this mean for the future of diversity in the Ruby community and the Rails community? So I think one thing I really want to see is first and foremost, a commitment to diversity from that organization and for the companies that are paying this money and taking part in the organization to push for that goal. Because I think without that aspect, the creation of the Rails Foundation is essentially meaningless in a lot of ways. I completely agree. And I'm going to steal this from the actual blog post itself, because I really want to ask you two about how you think this money should be spent. Because right now we're trying to attract Ruby on Rails developers into the community, whether or not they're junior or to bring them back from other communities that they might have departed to. And it's a question of documentation, education, marketing, and events. It's not nearly easy enough for a developer interested in learning Rails to find their way through decades. And it's true, decades of often outdated books, blog posts, and screencasts. So like, what do we do from here? Where do we put this money? Yeah, I think not into perpetuating the status quo, right? And the status quo is not in good shape in terms of diversity or equity or inclusion. I think it is towards initiatives, RubyConf Mini or similar conferences that will spin up that are doing something new and different and creative and bringing outsiders into our community and bringing junior developers along. I think there are ways you could put it towards mentorship efforts. There are ways you could put it towards Women on Rails or WMB towards sending folks to conferences, towards content producers. There's no end to where it could go. I think my hope is that it doesn't end up just fueling the same thing that has been happening. Now, that's a really good point. And it almost begs the question, this is what happens whenever we get into a new Ruby on Rails app. Do you stay with the legacy app and build it out so it's more inclusive and has better features? Or do you start over again? So like Gemma... If they came to you and said, hey, we love your garbage collection book, but now it's outdated and we want to compensate you to bring it up to speed because people know if I want to learn about garbage collection in Ruby, go to Gemma Isroff's book. Is that the way we want to go versus finding new authors to cover topics of books that might be outdated? I think in my mind, finding new authors to cover new topics, I think wrote that book and I did it pre-Rails Foundation, right? And so almost Mm -hmm. by definition, it wasn't an area where Rails Foundation could have affected change in my ability or decision. Maybe in my ability, probably it could have been better. Definitely it could have been better with outside help, but in my decision to do it, not. And I think there are so many people teetering on the edge of like, I candidly one slacked me in the Shopify internal Slack just yesterday saying, hey, just stumbled upon your garbage collection book. I've been thinking about writing one for a long time. I'm not sure. Should I? Shouldn't I? And to me, that's where I would hope the Rails Foundation has an access of control of. I could say to this person like, hey, have you checked out this resource or this grant you can apply to or this whatever it happens to be? Go look here. This will help you with your decision. This is a good avenue for you to go down like that to me is so much more impactful than people who are already writing the books or doing the things. I love that a lot, but I'm going to challenge you on a problem then because you're known in the community for garbage collection. So I'm going to Google for garbage collection Ruby. I'm new to the ecosystem. I want to prove to my friends that garbage collection is better than another framework that I'm coming from. And so how do we set it up so that your book points to the resource that is the active thing? 
how do we solve for that? It's like that redirect link. How do we solve for that? Because I mean, a good example is if I wanted to learn what was under the hood for Ruby, I would do Ruby under the microscope. But we all agree that that book is terribly outdated. And so we need to get a new author in there. We need to restart it. But like, how do we get the traffic going in the right direction to new, fresh content so people feel good investing in Ruby? I think this points to a role that we desperately need in the Ruby and Rails community, which is the role of what I would call in my mind a mediator. And a mediator is someone who like connects the dots in the community. In your example, like an author of an outdated resource to an author of a new resource and ensures that their work is contiguous. Because when that doesn't happen, then we don't make as much progress as we could because every single time someone tries to do something, they have to, to a certain extent, start over in terms of their, maybe it's their internet presence where like they don't have the amount of of Ruby fame (laughs) as someone who's already established. And so that sets them back already from accomplishing the goal that they want. So one thing that I would like to see is the Rails Foundation being a bridge between community members, between other organizations, between companies, and creating those links that I think are really desperately needed. That's such a good point. It's almost like we need two different roles here. We need that mediator role. I love that. Like that's the person who's networking all of those people together. But we also need that curator role where you almost have that welcome committee. Like you go to this page when you want to get started in our community and we give you suggestions that are inclusive of everybody. And we give you suggestions like, hey, you want to meet some of us in person? These are conferences that we tend to go to. But also you can look here for additional ones or here's how to start your own. Or these are the meetups that we have. These are the books that we read. Here's a book club that you might want to join. Here's podcasts that we listen to. Just having that all curated because as soon as it gets outdated, we all know this, we stop trusting it. And then we stop linking to it. And then you might as well have not created it at all. So we have to be like on the whole topic of keeping this community fresh and keeping that content fresh. We have to be on top of it. And let's be honest, this community is very lively. It is practically a full-time role to be doing both of those things at once. I think it's also fine, by the way, to take down dated content. I think that's a good result. And what I plan to do with the Garbage Collection book is either update it or take it down because it's out of date. And I think that's fine. It also leaves space for other people to come in and create up-to-date content. The whole thing about software is that it's constantly evolving and our resources and our documentation around it should keep up or be removed or deprecated or whatever if they're no longer relevant. And I think that's good. Do we want to invite competition, basically? I don't know if we want to, because I feel like trying to keep this community together. So I don't want to see a world where the Rails Foundation is putting on a competing conference to what Ruby Central is putting on. That seems like it would not end in a good result unless it was in some sort of collaboration. I just don't want any sort of competition when we're trying to keep this community together. But sometimes competition leads to innovation. So curious what you two think. Internally at Shopify, I've heard a mantra repeated quite often around like a rising tide floats all boats. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a different perspective on what could label competition of like, I think something like a ton of small regional conferences is really positive overall for the community. And you could make the argument that a ton of regional conferences means that a bunch of people who are used to seeing each other at every conference now won't necessarily all be in the same room at the same place at the same time and might keep missing each other. And my counter argument there is there's so many people who 
will be in those rooms who weren't in those rooms before. Like we even from RubyConf Mini, there was a Providence local rail shop splitwise. I'll give them a, a big shout who check out the app or if you're an engineer looking for a job, go look at them who sponsored our conference. I don't know that they would have for a big rails conf, RubyConf in Denver or something like that because it was relevant to them specifically. And so, yeah, a big believer in, I don't think the Rails Foundation should go and start a Rails conf that's aiming to rival Ruby Central's one at all. But I think encouraging more smaller regional conferences or things of that elk is really positive overall for the community. I agree. And I think the idea of competition doesn't take into account the fact that there's so much in our community that's uncovered right now. If you're saying like, oh, should someone make a competing book? I don't think there's enough written about Ruby garbage collection unless they purposely covered the same topics. There are so many ways that they could deep dive into different aspects of it that have not already been written about that I find it like really hard to believe that a competition could exist. So there are people in our community who love niches. Thinking about Nick and his like Ruby archaeology niche. And that makes our community so unique and so wonderful. And so I think it's a lot more productive to think in terms of niches than it is in terms of competition. And even to the garbage collection point that Emily was just making, there are people like Peter Zhu, Matt Valentine House, who have been working on garbage collection, who know it way better than I do and who could write about it way better than me. And to me, like that would be awesome if they put out more content about it that was more accessible than mine. That's like the dream outcome. I love that. Any other thoughts that you want to share about the Rouse Foundation before we wrap up? What are you excited for? Andrew Culver and I've talked about this a lot. There needs to be a marketing arm behind Ruby on Rails. We know, obviously, you two work at Shopify. We know the Shopify story and it's an important one. But I want to know more about those smaller companies that are finding success, bootstrapping a business on Ruby on Rails and staying small to be small, but really solving a very niche problem. They're here. It's just, I don't know how to find them. And so I would love it if like part of their role is finding all those companies doing that and bringing them into the community. You wouldn't believe how many people I interview at Text Us that have no idea how to access the Ruby and Rails community. To me, you know, because like I'm already in there, it feels very accessible. But like if you step back, it's weird, especially with like Twitter being awful right now and Mastodon being confusing and whether or not like Reddit's a trash fire. You don't know where to go to feel like you're included in the community other than listening to this very podcast. Thank you, listeners. But I would love to see more entry points there. And I would love to see someone whose job it is to also, you know, like a good product manager looking at the competition. What's Phoenix doing that's exciting? What's Django doing that's exciting? Laravel's catching fire. Why? What are they doing? What are they doing right? And what should we bring into our community and learn from those lessons? We need that marketing arm. I'm very proud to be a Ruby on Rails developer. I want more people in our community to feel the same way. I think that's a really powerful sentiment. Do you hear a lot from your listeners of like where they work? Sometimes, like when they come up to me at conferences, they'll let me know. And I'm usually very surprised. I'm like, oh, I didn't think they did Rails anymore. And they're like, oh, yeah, we've been on Rails for like 15 years. I'm like, that's so great. Or Brian will bring someone on who's starting to hire. They were a team of five and now they need to grow out. And I'm like, that's so great that you chose Rails. But it's the only outlet that I really have in order to discover those new companies that are on it. Could we link in the show notes like a little form or something where people could just write us their stories if you're listening to this episode and inspired to tell us what your deal is or where you're coming from or how you're using Rails? 
Absolutely. That sounds like a great idea. We would love to read those stories. So listeners, I will link that up in the show notes. Do as Gemma said. <laughs> and please tell us your stories because we want to know, especially internationally as well. I get very excited whenever I hear that there are companies internationally, like not everything is happening in the US. There's a lot of exciting things happening outside the US and I want to hear about it. Cool. Well, on that note, we're going to wrap up. Emily and Gemma, always a pleasure. Congratulations on the successful conference. I hope you have the most chillest holiday season. You definitely deserve it. And cheers to closing out 2022. Cheers. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Thanks for having us on. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review and thank you for listening.